How's it going, everyone? My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Reunion. I'm super excited that you joined us online this morning as we're continuing this series that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago called Balance. Now, balance is not something that I dwell on, honestly, or think about very often, uh, but it's something that strangely kept coming up when I started running. Um, see, when I was training for my runs, my coach She'd have me do these body weight exercises, and, and they were fine. They weren't really all that exciting or noteworthy, if I'm being honest, except there was one specific one that is. In all these workouts, she would ask me over and over again to do single leg squats. Now, let me just say, I, I get it. Squats aren't fun, right? And single leg squats uh, are half as fun as normal squats are, right? They're no fun at all, so over and over again, I would find myself getting extremely frustrated with this exercise. And I want to just stop and note, and maybe this is just for me, I feel like I'm strong enough to do a squat, right? I, I'm not by any means a bodybuilder, at least not anymore. Uh, but over and over, I would try to do these squats, and I just could not do them. And finally, my frustration kind of kind of showed itself, and my coach explained these weren't like normal squats. See, when you do these on one leg, you start to engage different muscles because as you squat, you're also trying to use muscles to keep you stable. So you aren't just lifting some weight, right? You are using muscles to keep your body balanced. And you did this, so when you were far into your race, however many hours into your run and you're tired and you're trying to navigate over a rocky trail and maybe you step in the wrong place or your foot slips or whatever it might be, you have developed muscles to keep you balanced. And this changed everything for me. And I guess to be fair, I shouldn't say everything because I still couldn't do the squats. But it did give me this clear reason of why this mattered. I started to see how these exercises helped me reach my actual objective, which was to run faster and smoother. And I just needed to know my real objective to understand why this exercise mattered. And I believe, in all reality, that's true with our finances as well. I mean, some of us, we have financial goals. I'm sure, but if, if you had to boil it down to one thing, right? If you had to say, here's what I'm really trying to accomplish with my finances, how would you answer that question? Because some of us would probably say, if, if I have to pin it down to one thing, I suppose my answer would be to provide for my family. And that's a great goal. But if that's our only objective, it leads a lot of things out and we won't stay balanced. I mean, I know tons of people that are sold out on taking care of their family, but that can leave us unwilling to be generous. That can leave us unwilling to save because we're always wanting the best for our family. And so we end up spending and we end up in this cycle of debt. Some of us, we might answer, you know, I want to make all the money that I can. And in reality, that's, that's important. Part of staying balanced financially is making money. It, it is. But if that's the only thing we stay focused on, we're going to get out of balance in a lot of other areas in our finances. I mean, we, we've seen stories of athletes, actors, all different kinds of celebrities who retire from their jobs and they go broke and they go broke not long after they retire and it's because sometimes 
someone makes a lot of money, but that doesn't mean they know how to manage that money. It doesn't mean they know how to prioritize the people around them over their money. I, mean, I bet many of us know someone who values money over people. And that's just one way that being out of balance in this way can look. And maybe you've thought about that question now and you're saying, you know, my main objective, honestly, is to save as much as possible. And again, that's also extremely important. Saving is part of staying balanced financially, but it's just one part of becoming balanced. We might be really good at saving, but we're out of balance in other areas financially. It might be really hard for us to be generous, even when we want to be, because we stress every time the number in our savings account gets a little lower. And let's just be brutally honest here. None of us are going to say it, but if we pulled up our banking apps, we would pretty clearly see that for some of us, our number one financial objective is spending. I mean, if we're facing a lot of consumer debt, the truth is spending is probably playing a major role in that. Like I said, some of us don't want to say it, but we spend more than we make and more than we can afford, and that's out of balance behavior. And listen, some of these are worthwhile goals. I mean, saving, providing, making, these are good things, but they're just not enough. They don't give us a moral compass. They don't provide us with any parameters. And if we shoot for any one or two of these goals and we do it at the neglect of the others, we find ourselves out of balance. So what is the one thing we should be pursuing when it comes to our finances? What's the clearest objective that will give us direction when it comes to our income, our debt, our spending, our savings? We're going to take a look at a passage in Scripture in 1 Chronicles. Chronicles is a history book, and the first part of that book tells us the story of David. Now, before we jump in, let's set the scene a little bit. David was the king of Israel, and he was at a place in his life where all of his enemies had been defeated. All of the battles have been won. Israel is at peace. They are, I mean, as an empire, the envy of of every surrounding nation. And at this moment, it occurs to David that here he is living in this incredible palace, in an incredible kingdom, and the place where the Israelites worship God was a tent. You can imagine him looking out at the tabernacle, which was this giant elaborate tent inside was the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, this place and this item that represent the presence of God living amongst his people. And as elaborate as the tent was, it was still just a tent. So David decides it's time to build a proper place of worship. He began to make preparations, but in this moment, God comes to him and says, David, you, you can't build this. There's too much blood on your hands. You've been a man of war all your life, and it disqualifies you from building this place of worship. I mean, can you imagine? I think many of us would have been heartbroken to hear this. But David, he, he doesn't respond like many of us would. 
He doesn't fight back. He doesn't start listing off his credentials. Instead, David says, all right, I'll let my son build it. But he goes on to say, God, I'm, I'm still excited about this idea. So I'll get the architects. I'll get the building designed. And I'm going to raise all the money for the building. So when my son is king, everything is going to be prepared. Everything will be in place for him to build this house of worship. And then David prays a prayer. It's recorded in 1 Chronicles 29. And it's in this prayer that we learn how David viewed his wealth. We gain this insight into how God views wealth. And it's a perfect parallel to what Jesus would teach during his lifetime. First Chronicles 29 and verse 10, it reads this way. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor, Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Everything we have comes from you. Everything we have comes from God. Jesus echoes this truth throughout the Gospels. Everything belongs to God. And if that's the case, then the one thing that we should drive our that should drive our financial decisions is simple. It's to honor God. Honor God with everything, with all of our wealth. See, some of us have heard this idea that we give 10% of our income to God. It's this ancient practice called tithing. And I think the practice is great and important for us to partake in, but the problem is for many of us, it warps our view of our finances. For many of us, it creates this belief that tithing is like a holy tax. We give God his cut and then the rest of the money is ours. So if God asks for more, we simply get to tell him that he's gotten his cut for the month, right? I mean, none of us are signing up for TurboTax so we can pay more in taxes, right? That's just not a thing that we do. And there is nothing in scripture that would ever suggest that this is the proper way to view our finances. What we're talking about today is not just about giving, it's about how we live. It's about all of it. Scripture teaches that we honor God, not with a percentage, but with everything. Because everything we have comes from God. He wants us to honor him with everything. We can't pay God off with a percentage. And I'm, I'm for percentage giving. I'm not against it. I think it's great, but this isn't about that. The driving force for staying balanced financially is to learn how to honor God with everything. 
So our objective when it comes to our income, our savings, our spending, or our giving should be filtered through that question, God, how do I honor you? And for some of us, this terrifies us. We tell ourselves, I'm afraid if I say to God that I plan to honor him with everything, he's going to take something. But the truth is, if he wanted it from us, he wouldn't have to wait for us to offer it. But maybe the more important truth is that God doesn't want our money or our stuff. He doesn't want our money to get us. God is not trying to get something from us. God is trying to give something to us. And I know this because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son into the world and it wasn't to get something from us, right? The scripture doesn't read, for God so wanted something from us, he gave his son. No, it says God so loved us that he gave his son for us. Jesus died for us. He did it because he wanted something for our life. Forgiveness, restoration, hope. And this is why when we decide, God, I want to honor you with everything, there's actually a freedom and a peace that comes with that mindset, and it's overwhelming. I mean, all of us have lived at some point or another with the mindset, it's mine. And how much peace is there in that? It's more to worry about. It's more to ensure. It's more to distract us, more to stress us. But when we shift our goal, when our main objective is to honor God with our finances, it changes the way we view the small financial goals that we have. Instead of only wanting to provide for our family, it allows us to rethink who our family is. It allows us to see our church as family. Instead of wanting to make more and more money, we realize that making money is a good thing, but not hoarding it for ourselves is even better. We work to earn so we can be generous and bless others. Instead of wanting to save all our money for ourselves, we begin to trust that God is our ultimate provider. And saving is great, but not if it is at the expense of trusting him. And when we decide to honor God with everything, it helps us understand that spending isn't something to be feared, but something to be redirected for greater purposes. I mean, what if we said, I want the new TV? I do. But I'm also going to be intentional in inviting people over and using it to build community. Obviously, post-pandemic. But what if we said, I I want the new pots and the new pans and the new stuff for my kitchen, but I'm going to be making meals for people to drop it off at their house, or I'm going to be inviting people over to create community around the table. I mean, the list goes on and on, but all of it starts with this shift in our objective. Because if our main objective is to honor God with our finances... That gives us a lens for all the smaller goals that we have. So today, let's just start right here. Let's begin to pray this prayer. God, show me how to honor you with everything. With everything.
not with the 10% we view as God's, not with the leftovers after we save or we spend or whatever it is, but with everything. And then let's live our lives as if everything we have is already God's, because it is. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful that you love us, that you see us, that you care for us. We're grateful for the ways that you've blessed us, the ways that um, you have entrusted us with, with wealth and with your good gifts and, and with your blessings. I pray for all of us that we begin to see this shift, not just um, with our finances, even though definitely with our finances, but in all the areas of our lives, that everything we have, we would begin to ask, how can we honor you with that? And then as you reveal that answer to us, as your spirit guides us, that we would step in to the new things that you have for us, the new way of living and the new way of spending. We love you. Amen.